Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Okay, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. A short baseball season means anything can happen, and it certainly proved that way, Joe, through the years in fantasy sports and um you know it it sometimes has come down to one of the tactics that you could use in a fantasy league is essentially selling high on a player now it's not always easy there are some players who get off to great starts that maintain it trevor story is a really good example of that his rookie year uh got off to that unbelievable start looked like it was unsustainable and ended up hitting, I believe, uh, 28 or 29 home runs until he got hurt uh, after 140 games played during that season. But there are other players that were definitely good sell-high candidates, and this is not a season where you can do that, Joe. I mean, simply put, if you play in a fantasy baseball season that is a 60-game season or something along those lines, I mean, I guess that there aren't going to be a lot of trades this year. (laughs) I would imagine not. I don't know, man. The the more I think about trying to play – in a shortened fantasy baseball season that's, you know, season-long baseball, I think the more difficulty I'm having with it. At first, I was like, nah, we'll we'll kind of soldier through. And the more I'm thinking of it, I don't know. By the time everything starts up again, I just don't know how I feel about it all. But I feel like DFS is an option. But you're right. You know, even last year, you had players like Christian Walker get off to great starts, right? We've had, uh, you know, Tyler White one year get off to a good start. You know, you have these guys sometimes who – Uh, get off to really good starts and then vanish. But this is it. Getting off to a good start is almost like having a good season. Uh, I remember years and years ago when I first started playing fantasy, I had a pitcher named Kent Bottenfield. I don't know if you remember that name. Pitcher for the Cardinals. He he, he pitches in Palm Beach. He's the uh, head coach of uh, Palm uh, Palm Beach Community College or something. Yeah, he's a a head coach. Everybody lives in a five-mile radius of Craig Mish. They do. Established Mm -hmm. on the show. uh, And everything is within arm's reach of Craig Mish at all times. But I remember him by the All-Star break. I don't know if he had 12 wins or 15 wins or something insane like that one year. And I'm going, man, I got to sell this guy because I have no idea where this came from. It doesn't feel like it's something sustainable. I'm going to have to move on. And that was kind of the early entry into selling high on players. But this year, you get off to a hot start. It pretty much is the definition of your season, pretty much. And if you get off to a slow start, it's kind of the same, I guess, adversely. Yeah. And you got to, you know sort of figure that out over the course of the season and make that decision. It's always not an easy decision, but sometimes you make it, you end up cashing in and sometimes you live to regret it. But more hey, often than not last year with Keto Marte and a guy that I believed in, but he was so good in the first half, Craig, I just thought there was nothing, but you know, nothing could possibly sustain in the second half. As good I would as never he was, would have thought that he would do what he did. Yeah. And I was a Keto Marte guy. And I just, I, I tried to sell. Him I was not I was after like, having him the year before. <laughs> All right, 60-game uh, uh, fantasy phenoms. Let's take a look at some of them from the okay. past. You may remember these in fantasy baseball history. I think that the poster should have Ubaldo Jimenez on the front, that's for sure, from 2010. Believe it or not, Ubaldo Jimenez is still trying to pitch in the big leagues at this point. Here we are in 2020, 10 years later. Good for him. But through 60 games in 2010 and an All-Star appearance, if I'm not mistaken, 11-1 and one with a .93 earned run average for the Rockies. Like, I mean, it was him and Aaron Cook, I think. And, uh, Freeland actually had a really good year once, too. But uh, that was amazing. 11-1, and one, all-star game starter, .93 earned run average. And then through 60, 162 games, he actually ended up having a really good season. But, man, that was a really good sell-high guy. And I, I know it's hard to trade pitching in fantasy baseball because – no one's really going to value it. They're not an everyday player, and you really have to have a disaster happen to your team to go out and seek a player like this as far as a high-level guy in pitching. But he finished off well. 19-8, uh, and 2.88 on run average, best season ever pitching-wise, I think, at Coors Field. But he was untouchable for basically the first 60 games of the season. Yeah, what it tells you, too, is he basically went 8-8 eight and eight with an ERA almost a 4 in order to get to 288 after .93. So he was okay second half of the season. And I have a a soft spot for this particular run because in 2010, this was one of the first pieces that I ever wrote uh, for a website when I started covering fantasy baseball that actually got picked up on a national scale and got, uh, you know, more attention. And it was the unlikely rise of Ubaldo Jimenez. So Ubaldo Jimenez, if you say that name, I smile. And this run, I remember very well, I was 
I was so blown away. I was like, wow, something I wrote actually got out there and and people are reading it. And it was uh, kind of one of the, that first moment of, hey, maybe I could do this. So, uh, Ubaldo, I want to thank you. From me to you, thank you for this run back in 2010 because this uh, was kind of a proving ground for me. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of guys in Colorado over the years fail miserably. There's been a very, very small number that have success, but none of them have sustained success. And that's the problem with Colorado is I just feel like somebody's got to go in there and just go back to the old days of beating teams that, you know, 12-10. And that's probably the only way that you're going to win games in Colorado. I just could be. I don't see any other way. I would just load up, especially nowadays where everyone's hitting home runs. And it's weird because the, the team that they're building in the future with the Hampsons and McMahons of the world aren't those kind of guys. So I don't know. I'm not sure what they're up to there in Colorado. I'm not sure they know what they're up to in Colorado. No, I don't I don't think it's going to go well for them at all. All right, 2017. This is going back a couple of years ago. And if you play fantasy baseball, then you will remember this name for sure. Still playing right now. He's uh, headed to the Washington Nationals. I saw him in spring training in Palm Beach this year. Eric Thames came from overseas after playing in the KBO. I don't think anybody knew what the KBO was until Eric Thames <laughs> came over. And was absolutely on fire. 15 home runs. Mm -hmm. And by the way, 15 home runs through like June 1st. Oh, yeah. But but, but 50, essentially 15 home runs through 60 games of the season and 30 runs driven in. Now, in the end, he, di he still did hit 16 more home runs the rest of the season. And he still did drive in 33 more runs. But he was the hottest fantasy player on the planet for almost two months. And, uh, you know, ended up having a really good year and well worth the investment that the Brewers made in him, for sure. Well worth the investment that in fantasy made for him. And I think that that's something to understand, too. The fantasy investment that you made in Eric Thames, if you did not invest anything in him at the beginning of the season, an auction, a few bucks, whatever it was, and you didn't make the trade, you still did fine. Like, there's nothing to argue with. And anybody who was saying at that time, you have to trade Eric Thames, he's going to be a bust. He's going to be a bum the second half of the season. Well, yeah, I mean, you were sort of right. But how do you tell that person that paid $2 or $3 or 4 for Eric Thames to trade a guy when you know that I'd just rather have him not so good the rest of the season <laughs> than, than sell high on a right. guy? I've never understood that concept. I don't think people understand that well, it's still okay if the guy's not as good. It's um, not about selling high. It's about getting the right player back. You know, you yeah, can, if you it's can not going to work, high, you paid nothing right. for him, you know, then you might like, as well just ride the it, train. It's much like, harder to trade a guy that is unknown that's off to that great start because everyone else is going to think the same thing about him, hey, too. You can but, go back to two years ago, Max Muncy. Same kind of deal. I don't think anybody knew what Max Muncy no, was. That, that's a good And I'll, I'll tell you what, another one was even going into last year. I said, you know what? I'm still not sure I know what Max Muncy is. He turns out he's a 35 home run guy back to back he's years. I have no choice. But to give star. him all the credit in the world. But you run this risk. There are players <clears throat> that pop up like this, like this Thames. And I remember this one very well. Uh, there's players that talk about Cattell Marte being a guy that everything was so good. You think, well, things aren't sustainable, even though I really like this player. Oh, this is difficult. The hard part is when you really do your research and you love a player and he outperforms your expectations. That's difficult because that you have to start to be realistic and kind of play the law of averages. And the law of averages are guys aren't going to hit 330. Well, all of averages tells you that, you know, Baldo Mena is not going to point pitch to a 0.93 ERA for the rest of the season. There's going to be some marginalization of those numbers. Yeah. That's baseball, yeah. but not in a shortened season necessarily. <laughs> they don't have to marginalize. And that is incredibly different. And that is something, you know, when you shorten things up, it makes just night and day in terms of po possible comparisons. And, and Thames was another one of these guys too, where there were a certain amount of people expecting this power, but what happened was he got exposed and the weaknesses that drove him to the KBO in the first place away from Toronto were the ones that reared its ugly head and players this year, like the Akiyamas of the world, or let's say Josh Lindblom, who's now on the Brewers, right? Guys who, you know, they might not get as much exposure to the league, but when you don't have that problem, all of a sudden their potential effectiveness goes through the roof because everything becomes truncated and their ability to produce, they don't have to, you know, necessarily go 32 starts. They don't have to go 162 games. All they've got to do is be good for a short period of time. And then that question is what happens to that value next year when you only have a small sample size? That becomes a very dicey proposition in 2021 drafts as well. Let's go back to 2018. This was a crown jewel of mine that I just couldn't trade. I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I knew that it was unsustainable what the guy was doing at the beginning of the season, but I own this guy everywhere in uh, in this season. 2018, I had Ozzie Albies, 
And um, I remember going into spring training and talking to people, telling me this guy's getting 200 hits and he's hitting 15, 20 home runs. Well, <laughs> I did not. Ex- I, I, I actually needed more of his steals than I did his home runs that season. Um, it was interesting, but he hit 14 <laughs> home runs, 14 home runs. Yeah, I know. And 35 uh, runs driven in, batting out of the leadoff spot. Nobody drafted uh, him for the power. Everyone was shocked when this power came. I wanted the steals. I'm like, okay, this is great that he's hitting all these home runs, but I need your steals. He wasn't stealing. No. Uh, but that's what he did through 60 games. He went in a massive slump and then broke back out of it and and ended up well. He had 24 home runs, 72 runs driven in. He was one of the best rookies in fantasy that year. He was a 20 home run, 20 steal guy or close to it. But his home run numbers were staggering. Through the first 60 games, it was so unexpected. And in fact, just when people thought he was going to fall off, if I'm not mistaken, he had two home runs, including a grand slam in May. So Albies is another example of a guy that, you know, potentially maybe I should have traded him, but I was so in love with the player that I'm like, I, I just can't do it. And I hung on to him and he only hit 10 home runs the rest of the way. And he didn't even really steal that many bases. He, I think he's a superstar player. I think he's only yeah. getting better. But this particular season... He showed power that he never had before, and I thought, okay, I saw what Lindor did a few years ago. I never thought that guy was going to hit 30 home runs. I'm not going to get burned. I'm keeping the guy, and, well, he only hit 24. Yeah, he did. I remember this year very well in tout. I was playing uh, against Tim McLeod, drafted him, and Tim is a guy that loves to draft the young players. It's hurt him in the past, but in recent years, it's actually helped him. He's been the guy that's had the Sotos of the world and had the Albies of the world, and he had Albies this year, and I remember him rocketing to the top of Tout Wars because uh, that early run that Albies had just hitting all these dingers. Everyone's looking around going, well, where did this come from? I'm like, man, Tim really hit dirt on this guy. And I remember messaging him and saying, you know, hey, you think this is going to keep up here? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm going to ride the wave for as long as I can. And he's uh, one of the the great ambassadors of fantasy baseball. I I loved him. Uh, Always been a friend of mine uh, for many, many years. and came on every show that I hosted. The worst possible times he would always come on and talk baseball with me. But uh, as you said, you know, things kind of did go south. And they went south pretty hard. That slump that he had that year was pretty harsh. There were some people wondering – did he even but, get but sent you know down? What, Joe? Guess what? Last year? Yeah. Same, same yeah. And some players he's have gonna, those he's, he's a hot and cold guy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's just well, Mark Teixeira was one of those guys. Do you remember Mark Teixeira always had a bad April? Well, that guy year. was on fire at different points of his career. He right. But he was, a, but historically, there was always that first four weeks of the season where they were ice cold. It, like some guys have weird patterns. And that's the thing you're taking out of baseball is the, the weird patterns that people have. Uh, you're taking out the guys who play really well in the summer months or for pitchers who feel better in colder weather than warm. Like all these things are going to be so different. It's going to be uh, really something to behold. That's for sure. We'll take a brief commercial timeout here on Fantasy Sports Today. When we come back next, we dive into a little fantasy football. And on today's show, it's time to take a look at the NFC South potential late round sleepers on the Bucks, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Panthers. sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com We'll get back to some baseball talk in just a minute, taking a look at some of the intriguing potential situations that could have happened in a shortened season. But for now, let's dive back into some late round picks in some early drafts in your fantasy football league. I know the FSGA draft uh, occurred over the last couple of days. So potentially Joe and I will dive into that a little bit later on. But for now, if you go back and you watch our YouTube channel, over on SportsGrid, you can see all of our shows. We've been talking about late round values, essentially division by division. So those of you who are just watching today, we are going to cover the NFC South, but we're not trying to alienate you. Go back and watch all of our shows. Head on over to YouTube right now. Just like and subscribe to Fantasy Sports Today on our YouTube channel. Turn the notifications to on and go back on demand. Just set a playlist. You can watch all of these one after the other. And by the way, we split up our shows an hour apiece, so you don't have to watch the entire two hours. You could just watch the pieces of the show you like. If you're a baseball fan, we got that. Football fan, you got that. I know a lot of you are birthday fans. We got that for you. <laughs> Everybody likes a good this Everybody loves the birthday. Sports, Craig, come on. Baseball cards, iconic stadiums. We've covered I mean, it really, all. Really, we're oh. kind of full service. We do film and TV stuff. We do music. We do everything we do. here. We we're cover it all. 
We yeah, covered all. All right, Joe. So uh, take it away. NFC South. What do you think? <laughs> all right. Well, I'll see you later. To, uh, see you later, guys. It's Craig going to take the segment off. No, what, what this is, uh, basically, we're trying to do for the early drafters out there. We know there's a lot of you. Some people are bored out there or you're doing best ball drafts. There is value out there to be had early in drafts, late in rounds. And I'm trying to go team by team, just trying to pinpoint some of these guys on each team. And clearly, we all know some teams have more than other guys that we could even speculate on. But the Saints are a team that has quite a few. And the first one I want to talk about is Latavius Murray because he's currently going in round nine. And I think it just bears witness because Latavius Murray is always this guy that ends up getting added from a lot of waiver wires. And I don't think people should do that. I think you should be drafting him around round nine. And the reason is, you know, we're just not 100% sure yet that Alvin Kamara is going to hold up over a full season. We've seen the Saints offense lend itself to more than one running back. And every time Latavius Murray has been asked to step up in the void of an injury, whether it be with Dalvin Cook, whether it be uh, over on the Vikings, whether it be over here with the Saints when Alvin Kamara missed time, he always does. And I think it's a certain point in time where if you aren't an Alvin Kamara owner, then it even makes sense for you to kind of get in the Latavius Murray business because all of a sudden you have that possibility where Alvin Kamara misses some time. You might have a flex play for two weeks who might help you through buys. Now, is this a guy you're going to hold the whole season? I don't know, but I think early drafting, there's certainly at least a speculation heading into camp where you go and you see, and we know Latavius Murray has a good track record of showing up when asked to handle the workload. And I don't think there's a lot of running backs out there that would automatically become very valuable when the other running back ahead of them is out. Oftentimes, it's a huge drop-off. I'm not saying he's Alvin Kamara talent because he's obviously not. But in terms of workload, in terms of touchdown upside, he has that anyway. So I think this is a guy to keep in mind. Uh, what are your thoughts on Murray, by the way? And more so, Alvin Kamara. Are you somebody who is very comfortable with him as a first-round pick? Because I'm still not quite there. I'm probably comfortable with him. I just have to make sure that I handcuff him. I think he's just one of the few guys in the league that it comes down to that um, that you have to handcuff. Like I, you know, some I, I've seen some suggestions like around the time that Ezekiel Elliott uh, tested positive uh, for COVID that oh you have to have Tony Pollard. Eh, I don't even believe that. I think yeah. that if, that's if the drop off I was talking about. That, that you yeah, know, like, like you're I, never feeling Ezekiel Elliott. Like, I, I think, again, uh, we're silly prisoners of the moment and we react to everything mm -hmm. as if it's like the biggest story ever. And, and certainly, no question, Mar um, Ezekiel Elliott testing positive is a big deal, but it didn't gravitate me immediately to, to get Pollard. Now, if you told me that Ezekiel Elliott had arthroscopic surgery on his knee and then he's if he, <laughs> okay, well, okay, we're talking about a different story then. But Zeke plays, man. This guy plays every game and, um, he doesn't get hurt, and Pollard is is only my guy at the end if he's available in the 14th round. If you take Kamara, you know, you, you kind of have to make sure that I think that you're protected there. So um, only yeah. in that scenario. I, I don't think that I want Murray otherwise. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I, I, I think Murray has some value. And there's a couple other guys in the same round, both play for the Saints too. All in round nine, we have Emmanuel Sanders, and we have Jared Cook. Now, Jared Cook showed... He can still catch some touchdowns, and all you got to do to be a tight end one every week is catch a touchdown. There were some games where he had some decent volume. Again, Drew Brees likes to spread the ball around. He's always going to find the open guy. So you can't count on a weekly target volume, but what you can do is play Jared Cook in certain scenarios where you know there's a linebacking core that doesn't cover the tight ends very well, and you can kind of cherry pick and have another tight end if, on your bench if you want and kind of play matchups. And Emmanuel Sanders, look, someone else besides Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara is going to catch some footballs this year, and I think they went out specifically to get Emmanuel Sanders because I don't think they're happy with the progress that Traquan Smith made and whatever else they had on the depth chart. So are you somebody that might speculate on Sanders? I know he had a, a couple moments there for the 49ers before injury, yeah, but... I yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of his. You know, I I could I could see you know wide receiver three numbers maybe for him. You know, with with Cook, it's it's I mean to me he's one of the big coin flip tight ends. Like mm -hmm. I mean, not not for this like at the end of the season you're gonna look at his numbers and they're gonna be there. Right. But they all come over the course of like four games. Like you got you got to just figure it out with him. It's really not easy to do. So all right, fair enough. Taken. Well, speaking of tight ends, there's a tight end going in round thirteen for the Atlanta Falcons. And it's Hayden Hurst, who is a guy that uh, obviously is getting a lot of fantasy buzz. He's got some great workout videos. But look, if you go into the deeper stats, a lot of the fantasy analysts out there really love the depth of target and certain other deeper stats that really kind of say, well, this is a guy with potential. Now, 
I keep him as a guy with potential. There's some people that already are comfortable with him being their tight end that they're starting every week. I am not there yet. However, we talk about Scott Fishbowl. We talk about a couple other leagues now in this tight end premium situation that is starting to pop up more and more. And in those, I think Hayden Hurst is somebody that you want to keep an eye on. I think round 13 is a really good value for a guy that's probably not going to step into the exact amount of targets as Austin Hooper, but a certain number of them, whether it be 80% of them. And I think that's worthy enough to get him right on the precipice of being a tight end one, him, Noah Fant, guys of that nature. So is Hayden Hurst somebody that you are kind of speculating on is if you miss out on the runs of tight end as a fallback option potentially, or as a group of different guys, and hopefully one of them kind of pans out, kind of like Waller last year. Yeah, I, I think this is a fair conversation for people who are involved in best ball, but mm-hmm. for your co-host, this is a question for August. And not <laughs> That's fair I enough. mean, I, I honestly do not have a strong opinion one way or the other about Hayden Hurst. It's a new team. I haven't seen a single report from training camp. I haven't seen a single preseason game. The guy only played essentially when Andrews was out. And he played um, well I, when he I was can't, I can't say I'm in love with a guy that I that no one literally uh, knows. I can't say I'm about. in love with him either. But everybody's falling in love, and we do this sometimes. And, 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 look, and, and O.J. Howard was that guy last year. So. Uh, O.J. Howard was that guy. Two years ago, it was Trey Burton. We have a bad history here in the fantasy sports community. And again, this is why I keep saying there's guys ahead of him that I would much rather take. He is not a tight end one yet. And whether or not he well, ends I, up I mean, being I, a tight end I guess, I guess what I would wonder— is and and I should have backed my own. I, I should have backed this up with some stats. Is is I don't remember who the tight end was before Hooper in Atlanta. That's oh, what I'm struggling. Goodness, uh, it was well, it okay, was Tony so, Gonzalez so, for a while. Okay, and then well, after okay. That, so where is that gap in between? That's why I have to go back. numbers from those players? Because guess what? If there are none, I'm not interested at all in Hayden Hurst, and it just tells me that Hooper's good. That's it. Yeah. Well, look, this offense throws the ball more than anybody else. That's the other thing you kind of keep in mind, too. They're a very pass-heavy offense. And, yeah, and those I, are all— I, I believe that that'll continue. Yeah. And and those you are all reasons— me. This guy, Gurley, went in the second round of that FSGA draft? I mean, you got to be out of your I wanted to save that because I wanted wow. to talk to you about this draft wow. here. I saw a lot of things there where I could not believe— I, Everything about that, almost everything about that draft, I I have feelings about, and I figure we have to spend some time on it maybe tomorrow. But I saw it late last night. Involved in it, yeah. I don't don't know if we want to do that because I don't know if they're going to like my feelings about it. So I don't want to. I don't know why wasn't I in that. That's a good question. Why am I not in that? I guess. But you should have been invited to that. (laughs) I agree. I should have been invited to that. Where's Sports Grid in that? I don't see us represented at all in that. That seems kind of bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to. We'll have to. All right. I'm the guy to do it next year. uh, Next year, I'll do it. All right. Let's go to the Bucks here, because I'm I'm through with Ronald Jones. I I can't wait anymore. Maybe I'm getting uh, I don't know in my old age impatient perhaps. But uh, I'm going to start turning the page, and I'm going to hope that Keyshawn Vaughn can be something. Now, I'm not expecting to be something out of the gate, but at round 12 value, somebody's going to have to balance out this offense. Somebody's going to have to play running back here and be useful. I look at what's there, the Dari Agbawales. We've gone through them. We've gone through Ronald Jones. We've gone through so many things there, and they haven't landed on anybody. Again, you're the college guy, so help me out here. Is Keyshawn Vaughn worthy of a 12th round speculation? Because I say yes. He, he is because of that, but he falls behind all of the other running backs that we've talked about in terms of being able to play every down, um, mm-hmm. you know, so he, he would really, it would have to be a PPR format, I think, I'm pretty sure for him it would have to be. Uh, he was good in college. I, well, I just, but how was he catching I, the football in college, in your opinion, as like a good, scout? Pretty good. Because I think that's the thing that Brady wants to do most. He wants to find the next James White. He could be James White. Yeah, like I I could see that. I could see, but but then again, that's going to do. You can't play that guy every week in fantasy. I don't think. No, you can't play that guy every week in fantasy. But what I'm looking for, twelfth round, it's it's worth a shot. Seventh round, it's not. Twelfth round, you may you may as well. This guy is not going to be like Cam Aker. You know, no, but of course not. Of course not. No, and 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 that's why you're paying twelfth round for him. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a guy who the, can is he be the last running back going of all those rookie guys that were taken. Uh, in the first the, uh, him and Dobbins are kind of in that same range. Yeah, yeah Dobbins. I don't. I, I like. I would say I'd take more of a shot on Vaughn than Dobbins. In the PPR, I agree with you. I, both I'm, I would. I don't think Dobbins is going to play that much. Well, I'm I'm just looking for Brady's going to find somebody to take the James White, Dion Lewis, Kevin Falk role because that's yeah, what he, he likes to do. That guy. 
And and if he can be that guy, Keyshawn Vaughn, what happens then is he becomes a useful flex play in matchups, and he becomes a guy that can help cover bye weeks potentially, and you need those guys. Last one here is the Panthers. Two guys here. Uh, Ian Thomas in the tight end premium leagues. I think there's some potential there with Ian Thomas, especially now that you know Greg Olson's not there. And a 10th round flyer on Robbie Anderson. I know Bridgewater doesn't throw a good deep ball, but I think DJ Moore is going to get a ton of attention. And I think when you're just looking for depth at wide receiver, I think you can do worse than Robbie Anderson. I know he's a 10 cent head, but he's also a thousand yard receiver. So this is a guy that does have some ability, does have some talent. Sometimes change of scenery is a good thing. I'm just saying at a 10th round value as my fifth wide receiver, I think you could do worse than him. Yeah, I got the Panthers as the worst team in the NFL. I got no interest in Well, that. they could be the worst team in the NFL, but it doesn't mean from a fantasy perspective that's a bad thing. <laughs> because from a fantasy perspective, they have to keep trying to I don't, score. I don't think the offense of the Panthers is going to be good at all. Well, Christian McCaffrey was a- pretty good last year. Yeah, I mean, he's the best <laughs> player in the Moore was pretty good last year. I'm just saying, like, those were two outstanding fantasy pieces on this team. So whether or not they finish last or first, he it doesn't will matter. He'll still be good. He'll be a wide receiver two or wide receiver three, and McCaffrey will be amazing. And they'll be horrible, and they'll win four games. And I and I, <laughs> and I don't agree with these two guys. I mean, the other guys, I think you made good cases for, but I, well, I it was harder. Look, I I'll be honest with you. I was reaching for the Panthers, but once again, I was making the premise of the the preface of Ian Thomas as a guy that it's tight end premium league specifically, where you if, have to yeah, have more than one tight end. Listen, you may as well throw some darts. I get it. All right, uh, we'll take a, a quick break, and when we come back next, uh, we've got a conversation about some teams that could potentially benefit in baseball from a short season and why. We'll have it for you next on SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. As we sort out all the details for the 2020 baseball season, the ifs, the ands, the whats, the designated hitter, the runner on second base, all these uh, wild things that are going to be taking place, the spring trainings uh, in minor league baseball parks that are near the major league baseball parks. A lot of wild stuff's happening right now in baseball and and trust me, we are going to be all <laughs> over it over the next month. Uh, but we thought we would take an early look and and discuss some potential teams that could be benefited by uh, a 60-game season. And, I mean, I, I'm, I'm clearly biased here, but I, I do believe that there is going to be a club or two in baseball that is going to have a shocking run in 60 games and make the playoffs. And I can't say that it'll be the Marlins. I don't know or the Royals, or the Tigers, or the Orioles. I mean, I don't think any of those teams will, but I'm going to guess that someone is going to get in that we never saw coming, and that's going to make this season probably the most unique one that we've seen in a long time, and I'm all for it. I think it'll be cool. Uh, but, Joe, I, Padres, I know that you— by the way. <laughs> it could be the White Sox could win the World Series. Why well, well, I'm just saying, like, a team like the Padres or White Sox where you have young pitching and you don't have to worry about innings limits and things like that, or— you know, a team that has a lot of depth in them, you know, they can, they can draw on or everything just hits right for a short period of time. It's going to be really fun. That's for sure. It's going to be different. I'm up for be- it, whatever they decide to do. But but let's talk about some teams that, that could potentially, in your mind, Joe, uh, benefit from a shorter season. Well, the first one that comes to mind is one of those teams that has a plethora of young pitching, and that is clearly the Oakland A's. They have Frankie Montas, they have A.J. Puck, and of course, Jesus Lazardo, who missed some time last year with an injury. And I look at a rotation like that, that I was really, I'm really bullish on the A's because I love the offense. I love Simeon and Chapman and Olsen and Chris Davis is going to bounce back and hit 47 bombs and hit 247 again, because that's what Chris Davis does. But I was worried about the pitching holding up over a long season. Now it's not a long season. If it's not a long season, all of a sudden you're asking these guys to make what? 10 starts. And if you have been making these guys 10 starts, all of a sudden this is a team that not only you have to worry about in the regular season, but also 
being fresh in the postseason potentially. And the A's are a team last year a lot of people didn't see coming, and they were very good. Uh, I'm a big Montas guy myself, but I look at that team. They have a ton of power, Craig, and they have a lot of power young pitching. And that is a very dangerous combination, I think, whenever you shorten the season. Whenever you have a truncated season there where you have to deal with these kind of arms, it also, in a, in a sense, the book doesn't get out on these guys as much because they're not exposed to the league quite as much. So I think that is a very tantalizing combination. And I am excited about the Oakland A's this year. I think this is a team where all of a sudden now when you take those innings limits and you throw them out the window for 2020, all bets are off here with the A's. And I think that's a team that I would bet on. Yeah, Manaya is uh, is also good. I don't want to lose sight of him. Um, no? Puck, Puck is someone that I like a lot because he's a Gator. <laughs> and, and I'm always a fan of the Gators, but I am a little worried about him. He did have an injury uh, before this all happened. So I'm, I'm not going to be as bullish on AJ as I am on some of the others, but it does certainly make sense. And look, the A's are just never going to get the popularity and the notoriety that some other teams do. You put Chapman, Olsen, and Simeon in New York somewhere, and it's like they're Forget superstars. It. It they're all superstars. And Davis. And we, so. we keep missing Chris Davis. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Davis. I'm not uh, sure. He ran into a wall last year, and he was not the same. Well, he tried to play through it. Okay. I think he just well, wasn't let's, healthy. Let's see. Let's let's okay. see. Because well, he can't hit 47. What, I don't know what, what happened last year. And look, maybe it was a blip. Maybe it's the end. We don't know. Chris Davis is not 22, you know? No, I mean, that's fair. We got to see with him. I'm not... I'm not all the way back in on him like I was a couple of years. Well, at the very least, he's the fourth best hitter on that team. And when the fourth best hitter on your team yeah, has no, the other he was the best, and now three other guys have moved ahead of him. Yeah, and and look, it's the, the those corners they were Olson and Chapman. And Loriano was fantastic too. And you know what? You didn't even talk about Loriano. I mean, he might be the fifth best player on that he team. He may be the best still. guy on their team. He most uh, he may be the most valuable. He's the best defensive I mean, outfielder and baseball player. Yeah, and like I said, this is a team that everybody needs to pay attention to. The second team I think that is favored by a shorter season is the Rays. They have a very good pitching staff and also a lot of depth where they have guys like McKay. Uh, they have some other guys coming through like Glass now who teased you last year. And, you know, when you are worried about guys holding up over a full season, you worry a little less. Plus, the one thing that the Rays love to do, you and I both know this and anybody who watches baseball knows, is they love to play these matchups. They are hyper-focused this guy against this pitcher and this game and all these things that they like to do, right? They are a very uh, sabermetric kind of team. And I feel like if they can analyze these 60 games properly and get the most out of what they have, my goodness, they could really contribute. And they have something that a lot of teams don't have, which is they have a young player in Wander Franco, who I think if this team is hot right away, there's no reason not to put him in the mix because this is an opportunity for the Rays to go past teams like the Yankees and go past teams like the Red Sox even in the sense of, hey, we are a, a young team. We are a very good team at what we do. We stay in our lane. Can we compete with you in terms of getting free agents and all these things? No, of course not. And can we bring in big salaries? No, but people might not be doing that this year in baseball in terms of acquiring these big contracts and these big players that change things. So the Rays have a unique opportunity here where they're not fighting against some of those big market teams in their division for the first time in a long time. And the depth of pitching is very good in that organization. They have a good team. Uh, my concern with them would be uh, the Rays are, you know, sort of like Oakland in a sense where, it, you know, either team gets off to a bad start. They're going to punt this season uh, after a short period of time. So, um, I, I do think Oakland is more built for this spot. The Rays are a tinkering team. They didn't have to make the trades that they made at the deadline last year, and they did. Uh, I do like their bullpen a lot. It's probably, if it's Very not good. the best, it's among the best in baseball. You know, they traded Tommy Pham. No one really understands why. Like, they got more go. Like, it, they're, they're just a hard team to grasp because they're making all of these moves. But they're also a team that if they are sniffing a finish line without a postseason or it's even close, I could see them trading players. So I don't Satuko know. Satuko was an interesting I don't, addition, I don't, too, by the way. Because sure I, I watched they, some at bats of his. He's pretty good. Who? Who? <laughs> uh, Satsugo, I believe oh, you pronounce Satsugo. it. Yeah, uh, he he's could, another he guy. Could, he could be good. He could be he's good. Another... And, and again, and again in, a, in a short sample, this benefits right. a player Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, All right. The 13th. I'm not, I'm not as I'm not as bullish on them as as I the Oakland does make sense, but the All Rays right. to me I'm a little skittish on because of what would happen if they were just 500 mm. on and I guess the deadline they're saying um, would be around August 31st. So they would have to decide pretty quickly. Right. right. Exactly. But again, I don't think a lot of the player movement with 2021 looming is going to be very tricky. I think this year for a lot of teams, they might not want to move certain guys or make moves. Uh, the Reds, 
are number three on my list here because I look at the Reds and I say, all of a sudden now, you've got Suarez, Castellanos, and Mustakas in the middle of this order. You have a team that's got some depth here. You've got uh, Akiyama, who you brought in. You hope that Senzel finally starts to show you something. But you've also got a front of the rotation with Gray, Castillo, and potentially Trevor Bauer. Now, Bauer is the wild card here because he was awful when he came over. There's no doubt about that. That ERA went through the roof when he went over to the National League. That should not have happened, but it did. He is kind of an enigma. He's tough to figure out. But as streaky as he is, he can be streaky good, too. And all of a sudden, if all three of those pitchers are pitching well, Craig, I, I look at them as a very formidable force potentially in that central. And all of a sudden, the Reds could get very good very quickly. Yeah. You know, and again, that's a lot to ask. I just I'm thinking back since they've moved into that park. Who has had success as a pitcher? For the Cincinnati Castillo's Reds. been very good there. Gray was spectacular last year in that ballpark. One good year for Gray. Well, I'm just saying, those are two guys just last year who were both very good. So I mean, they, uh, they would have to do it again. I, I'm not sold on their pitching, but I am sold on the idea that a team like the Reds has to view this as an opportunity to be able to win back a fan base that's been desperate for them to win for a long period of time. So if they're close, I think that they would add and uh, I, I feel like they'll they'll fight this year. I do think that they'll try. And again, some of this is about teams trying and not. Make no mistake. That's that's going to oh, be the Reds are trying. Team. They spent money. They're trying. And Descofani's in the back like of that they rotation. Are. I think they're. I, I think like they're absolutely they trying. But I don't yeah. like the pitching as much as you. I I like I and I, I think that's why they're going to sneak up on teams. I I do. And I'm not a big Trevor Bauer guy necessarily in fantasy. I tend to stay away from him. But I also know he's streaky. And if he hits the right streak, the Reds could be really good. Uh, the Indians. Because I don't think they're moving Lindor I, right now. I don't think they're in a Not weird yet. spot. They will, I, I, this is another thing. What if this team gets off to a good start? Because this is another team that's got Clevenger, that's got Bieber, it's got potentially a healthy Carlos Carrasco. There's a lot, a lot of teams that have pitching like that, Craig. And if those guys are making 30 starts between them in a 60-game season, that is really intriguing to me. And if Lindor ends up staying there, all of a sudden they're a really good team. And the last one is the defending champions, the Nationals. You know what? When they have a uh, have a ton of age on this team, right? They got a lot of older players like Kendrick, like Zimmerman, and sometimes you worry about those guys withstanding a long season and breaking down. And I know they're all going to be in rotation anyway, but you know what, man? They've got three the three best pitchers in baseball basically on their team almost. They've got uh, the best rotation there is. And you know, you're looking at them and you're going, "Well, man, all of a sudden these guys who are in their 30s don't have to play 162. They have to play 60." We could keep everybody fresh, move everybody in and out for 60 games, let these horses go out there and do what they do, which is throw seven innings of shutout baseball. And all of a sudden, this could be another back-to-back here scenario for a team like the Nationals. I, I think they would be terrific, too. And honorable mention, the teams who benefit the most are the teams that were punting on 2020 anyway. Because now, they have only 30 home games or so for their fan base to get alienated where they are not seeing a good quality product on the field. So, all those teams like the Giants, like the Orioles, who are looking more to the future than backward, you know, than necessarily to 2020 – Look, you're not going to get those prospects. There's no, I mean, no questions about that. Everybody knows Pittsburgh, all these teams. They're all just going to sit on everything for a year. So in a way, I feel like it's a win for those teams as well. Yeah, I would agree with the last part for sure. And and you could see why it's a meaningless season for a lot of them, because I think in particular, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Pittsburgh are going to be enduring losing for a while. Seattle may be more uh, closer than, than some of these other teams because they're going to be playing their young guys. Uh, I don't. I see that. That's the one team that I, I think that that there could be a disconnect there. Like Kyle Lewis, uh, Shed Long. I, I think those guys are going to play. So I think you're going to see some younger guys there. Uh, Nationals point you make is fine. Even in a 162 game season, I think the Nationals will be good too. Uh, Cleveland definitely is in this category because I think this is it. I think that the yeah. Indians. I think after this season, the Indians are tearing it down. I think that they're going to have to start over. I think Lindor is going to go. I think Jose Ramirez is going to go. I think Carrasco. I think I think they're going to trade everybody. Well, then Francona is going to step away. I can't imagine him wanting to go it's, through. Well, through it's, look, they, they've had this run with, with more or less this core, yeah. you know, adding pieces for five years. And, and what did it amount to? Nothing. Yeah, but this uh, could I, be that I, I take it back. I take it back. Rajay Davis and that home run against the Cubs, they legitimately had a shot. They, they could have easily won the World Series yeah. against them. But realistically... Cleveland's got to be looking at all these guys that they're going to have to pay, and they're not going to be able to do it. Maybe Clevenger stays. I don't know. But there's no reason to move Corey Kluber unless you know that you're not going to be able to pay some of these guys in the future. And I think that's why they did that. So, 
Um, all right, we'll uh, take a quick timeout. We'll come back here on Fantasy Sports Today. A couple of interesting items going up for auction in the entertainment world. We'll discuss those next. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Sports Grid. We're going to have a little fun here and talk about some potential items up for auction for those of you with big pockets. But uh, unfortunately, we uh, you know kind of got to start off at least this segment here on the show, sort of reviewing our world in uh, COVID. I know you guys are trying to avoid that, and I certainly don't want to spend all the time of the show on that. But we had two significant athletes test positive, or at least reported test positive, uh, for the coronavirus yesterday, Joe. Uh, Novak Djokovic, arguably the uh, best tennis player in the world, and Nikola uh, Djokic, who is arguably one of the best players in the Western Conference, if not the best big man in the Western Conference for the Denver Nuggets, tested positive. And um, certainly you would think at this point with the Nuggets having a chance to get pretty far into the playoffs and teams already reporting to their sites in Florida that, uh, first of all, you're wishing uh, health for sure, uh, for uh, Jokic, and also it's interesting that they spent time together, Djokovic and Jokic. <laughs> Ironic. Try saying I'm, that uh, a few times. As, I, as I'm learning, as I'm learning on the fly here, that they uh, actually spent time together here in Serbia, which now you know starts to add up, and it's very sad. Um, look, we look at it from the reality point of view. We're wishing the best for him, and we're wishing the best health. And then we're looking at the fantasy and the gambling side of this, which has to tell us at this point, those of you who got a little aggressive and bet anything on Denver going into the playoffs. You have to be holding that ticket a little worried right now. But of course, first and foremost, we're hoping for good health, but we are keeping it real here on this show. If this is arguably the best player on the Nuggets and they don't have him, even for a short period of time, now maybe the last eight games may not be a big deal, but if they don't have him for the playoffs, uh, I don't know what this would mean, but we're a month away from that, so I guess it'll get sorted out. Well, we definitely wish them all the best, and I think this is why the NBA is trying to show you like we're not going to be playing for a few weeks like they're trying they're trying to get everyone in tested and understand who they have to quarantine for two weeks and uh, obviously there's been some some positive responses to some treatments lately I've been reading up on that and some things are getting better we're not quite at vaccine yet but there's hope that we're going to get one sooner than later because obviously when you're dealing with a pandemic this is not the normal flu kind of thing uh, scenario where oh yeah well the flu vaccine every year it, it goes around but it's uh, I think we're hoping that we get it by the end of this year, which would be great. And um, look, I, I think that what you're going to see is a lot more players test positive, And that's why you're testing. You're testing everybody so you have awareness. And then when you have awareness, you can quarantine them. You can keep people separate. And then you can hopefully get everybody back together by the end of July playing basketball and everything is okay. This is why it's imperative for sports to be proactive and not reactive. And this is why testing has been so important. Uh, I think that's the thing we have to go back to. Testing in all the leagues needs to be uh, not just, like I said, reactionary. It has to be proactive. We have to be testing people all the time. That way we know and we can remove people from environments where it could spread quickly throughout a team and in that scenario. So this is, I think, expected as far as I'm concerned, especially when someone's coming over from other spots. Because, look, this has been everywhere around the world. So this is not surprising in the least. So I would expect, and I assume you too, to have more positive tests for more players as people get tested, because that's what testing does. It reveals that. But at the same time, I, I feel confident enough that you're going to have enough time for people to be separated, be quarantined, and then get healthy enough to be uh, back on the court or on the field at a certain point. Yeah, it's uh, it's just something we'll have to follow. I mean, best mm -hmm. tennis player in the world, good NBA player, too. All right. Uh, so from, uh, you know, kind of a sad state of affairs to a positive state of affairs, Joe, if you have deep pockets, this is probably the time for you, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you like to, you know, spend money on baseball cards all of a sudden, or if you want to spend money on some memorabilia all of a sudden, it seems like auction stuff is kind of heating up around this time. <laughs> so people are people bored. People are right? home. They're doing nothing. You know, it's it's not easy. Yeah. No, they're not. And Kurt Cobain's famous uh, guitar 
from that uh, MTV Unplugged, obviously, where he sang Man Who Sold the World and a lot of great songs there. Did a lot of covers, actually, from other bands, a lot of less Nirvana songs, a lot of just covers of things like that that people didn't expect. Well, that iconic uh, guitar actually sold for, get this, $6 million. Uh, that actually set a record. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know how big of a music guy you are, but is there a guitar of somebody that you'd like to own? Let's say I'm going to give you $6 million because I'm a nice friend and you can go spend it on anybody's guitar and you could put it in a nice glass case or hang it up in the Mish studio or keep it right next to you, as I know your plan, you know, to do with most things there, right yeah. in arm's reach at all times. Is there an iconic guitar player for you or somebody that you would want a specific guitar from a specific artist? You know, uh, Eric Clapton would be one, maybe. Um, Bono would be another potential. Well, Bono doesn't play guitar, so that would be. I'm, so I'm not. I'm not Bono. Edge. Edge. No. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure he plays. They, a they both have one name. It's the same guy. Bono. Edge. Mish. I think Bono did. It. I think Bono did play guitar. He can a, play a little guitar, but not, like I don't think he does. He got in an accident. He doesn't anymore. But I, I oh, think. Oh, is that what? Yeah, it is like a skiing accident of some kind. Oh, okay. I, for yeah. me, it would be Prince. I'm a big Prince guy. My kids oh, actually for Father's Day yeah. got me a a Prince Bob uh, Funko Pop right there. It's behind me over here on the shelf, uh, and uh, I, I would go with Prince. I would want the guitar from the uh, My Guitar Gently Weeps performance. That's the one I would want at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That is the greatest solo I've ever heard of any guitar solo ever. And the best part is when he's done, he throws the guitar up in the air and walks away, and you never see it come down, Craig. You never see it. Nobody knows what happened to that guitar. I remember that. I don't know what happened to it. You don't know. Nobody knows. It just disappeared in the thin air. It just disintegrated. But if it didn't, and it's still around somewhere, that's the guitar that I would want. That's for me. I, I big fan of the Prince, man. I, okay. Jimi Hendrix, I guess, would be another one you'd want, right? He's in the iconic guitar player group. But Prince is number one, and that specific guitar is the one I'd want. I, I agree. Um, you know, Hamilton is coming back here, Joe. We're going to yes. get Hamilton on uh, Disney. Uh, Disney Plus, finally something worth watching on Disney Plus besides Mandalorian. I mean, I signed up for Disney Plus six months ago. I don't think I've watched it since I've watched Mandalorian. And I that's why I, I haven't my, signed up yet. I think my daughter did. Um, and then, of course, my hacker has it. But um, <laughs> That is the best story ever. Yeah, the, he's probably he's loving Plus. all the Disney Plus. He's, he's loving it. He's watching all the living Maddie episodes. Very into Toy Story 4. All the uh, toys. But, but but Hamilton is this going to like get overloaded? Is the app going to get shut down for Probably. too many people watching this? Probably, but I think it's good. I think this is exactly what this country needs. Is everybody needs to take a deep breath and watch Hamilton and remember where we all came from in the revolution and remember we're a country together. And uh, I encourage people, even if you don't like theater or musicals or whatever, I'm not a big musical guy myself, despite having worked in the theater world for almost 20 years. Yeah, that is unusual. You never uh, sang anything? Oh, I did. I was in plenty. It's just not my favorite genre. It's not my thing. Most people start out in musical theater when they start out in theater. But uh, personally, I'm not the biggest musical fan. However, I think this is, might be one of the best pieces of art, just period. So I encourage everybody, just get the free trial and check out Hamilton, because I feel like that's something we need. And the trailer dropped. And I got to say, I was very excited. Just watching the trailer, I was like, ooh, this is really filmed nicely. And that's something that fails sometimes. It's very difficult to film a stage play and have it come across. It feels sometimes kind of flat. I don't know if you saw the trailer or not, but it was kind of hot. Like, no, it looked like no, some good angles. And things. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was like, ooh, this is going to be really good. And it's what we did need. They, is, is, did they redo this or this is from an old? No, uh, they, they did this when he was still in it. When Lin-Manuel Miranda was still in the show. They okay. specifically set up these cameras and did, I think it was over a couple days that they did the show. And then, of course, the editors went back and put it together. And it was due for release, actually, in October, I think. And I guess what they decided was it was better to make the mega deal with Disney, get it to everybody so they could see it. They felt it was also kind of socially important as well. It's coming on the heels of July 3rd. It's being released for July 4th weekend. I think that's fantastic. That's exactly what people should be doing. Learning some American history and at the same time, being entertained, and those are the best two things you could do, is learn and be entertained at the same time. That's why you watch fantasy sports today, after all, every single day. But uh, I would say this. I think people will uh, – I, I think they were going to uh, get into this in enormous numbers because now that you can't see it on Broadway, you can't see it on tours, I think you are right. It's going to be a huge win for Disney. And, you know, Disney really could use a win. You know, they don't really make enough money. Yeah. 
agree with that for sure. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, somebody who needs to make some more money, I noticed uh, Antonio Brown, Joe, is back in the news, a possibility of him signing with a couple yep. of different teams. Baltimore Ravens shouldn't come as a sh- uh, shock to anyone. Nope. Uh, but also uh, Seattle Seahawks. And you know, um, I mean, very clearly at this point, Pete Carroll, you know, he's willing to take on all of these. Anything, things, right? Anything and everything, man. And, and you know what? He was kicking the tires last year. Let's not forget. We all heard that speculation. I'm sure you did, too. They, they, well, it looks like Seattle might kind of interested. And then they ended up with Josh Gordon and all that. But I'll tell you what. If Russell Wilson gets a somewhat committed and focused, I, I don't know what degree, if you could just get Antonio Brown on the field, that is, um, that's a win for Russell Wilson, a win for the Seahawks, and starting to build my Russell Wilson MVP narrative that I'm going to be riding through the summertime. Uh, I guess let's put it uh, in a percentage for you, Craig. You're a wagering man. Uh, let's say a 15% chance that he plays in the NFL, Antonio Brown, this year. Yes or no? You gonna go uh, above or no? Percent chance. Um, go higher or lower? Yeah, you know I like I like numbers of games. Um, okay. Well, okay. One. <laughs> one. I will say over. I, I don't. I think you got to come up with a higher number. Really? So you think it's yeah. a lock that he plays that a team signs him? No, I, I think you. I, but I. You're not. You're. You're really. You know. You're not making good odds there because it's like an easy go over and take a shot that he plays. Like I would put it at like two and a half. Two and a half. So it's he so played one last year. It's not unrealistic that the guy like fixes his life <laughs> and week sixteen comes back and plays a game. Like you got to get like a two and a half, three and a half going there. Oh, it's funny. So you think it's the end of the season? I think it's a much better chance of him having oh, a game get, get a, I think he has to sit out a period of time. No. Oh well, that's a good point too. Well, and that, and that I guess kind of factors into it. How much time do you think they would make him sit out for his transgressions? Three games, yeah. Okay, so all right. But, so but again, num- but again, who knows between now and then what could happen? So let's put the number of four and a half for Antonio Brown. What do you think of that? I go under. Under. Well, if it's under, then I don't know, because I feel a lot of people are. I'm seeing this trend. I can't bet on drafts. I just can't do it. People are using that last round pick. You know, like they'll take their kicker, they'll take you know whatever. It's defense, it's, it's a take very smart round. It is a very you're cutting that last guy anyway. Absolutely, last round. I'd probably take him two rounds before that. Well, that's what's happening. Is now forget that that was going on. People are starting to go a round or two before. Now, as the buzz grows, you're gonna. It gets to a certain point where you're gonna. It's you're like thirteenth, fourteenth round. Yeah, I'll tell you what though, it's it's gonna be a trip, man. If he can get back on the field in Seattle specifically, I think that's a good fit, man. There could be a need and it helps DK Metcalf too. Helps him a ton. So we'll see what happens. Not just Russell Wilson, but DK Metcalf as well. And But I don't know. I would still say under as well. I don't think he's going to make it back there. I don't know. Hard to see. All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for the show. Uh, thanks to Brett, Danny, Ryan for putting our program together once again today. Joe and I will be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, for another edition of Fantasy Sports Today. Make sure you check out all of our great shows on television. You know how to watch them by now over on YouTube On Demand, but live on Zumo TV and Pluto TV and Stir, as well as Roku. We have our own channel there, believe it or not. We're doing big things here along with our partnership on FanDuel, so make sure you check us out. On the radio side of things, Scott Wetzel, of course, Gabe Morency, and the best in the business, Scott Farrell. They're uh, on Sports Grid Radio as well on our YouTube cha- uh, channel, so check that out. And that'll do it for the show. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.